Welcome to the Anxious Filmmaker Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Broadhead. The goal of this show is to teach you exciting new ways to make more money while still having plenty of time and money left over to create all the amazing movies you've ever dreamed of making. We'll be interviewing wildly successful entrepreneurs and amazing movie-making filmmakers to figure out the best ways to make a lot of money and the best ways to use that money to create great films. Thanks for tuning in, and please check out at the Anxious Filmmaker on Instagram to see short videos of all the best moments from this and every episode. Now let's get the episode started. Before the episode starts, I want to invite you to famousfounder.com to sign up for a free 30-minute webinar on how podcasting can build you a huge crowd of customers. During the webinar, you'll learn how to turn one podcast episode into a month's worth of Instagram content, how to book celebrity guests to be on your podcast, the best ways to massively differentiate your podcast, how you can use equipment you already own to record high-quality podcast episodes, the best way to design eye-catching podcast cover art, plus a question and answer session at the end and so much more. We will also be giving every viewer a special gift at the end of the webinar. And if you can't make it to the live session, just make sure to register and we'll send you a recording of the webinar so you can watch on demand. Please go to famousfounder.com to sign up for the webinar. Now let's start the episode. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I'm really excited to talk to you, Kevin. You are uh, fascinating and uh, very exciting and excited and, and just cool person working on um, some really amazing, uh, important, impactful things. Uh, so th- thanks so much for, for being here, taking, taking well, time. Why, why, thank you for the kind words. And and uh, I, I, I feel indebted to you because I, I found you through like an Eventbrite event <laughs> three years ago on how to start a podcast and you did a podcast with my friend Emmett, and ever since Emmett and I, I have been factually in podcasting, and I've been podcasting ever since. So uh, thank you for first teaching me how what podcasting <laughs> even was. Hey, you know that's uh, I'm happy that that I could uh, assist your journey and and hopefully get you uh, to your podcasting goals uh, uh, sooner than uh, maybe you would have without me. But I, I'm sure. You know, you're an incredibly uh, determined and, and smart guy. You would have you would have figured it out one way or another. But I, I appreciate the the kind words. Um, but, and and we'll definitely get more into that. Um, but before we dive in, could you uh, give us a little uh, bio on yourself? Um, for sure. Well, th- thanks again for the opportunity to talk yeah. shop here. Um, I'm mm-hmm. I'm originally from Los Angeles, California. Grew up in the Pacific Ocean. Nice. I went to school at University of Wisconsin Madison on Lake Mendota, and now I live in Chicago and Lake Michigan. So everything that I've done in my life, I've always been situated by a body of water. Um, water has always been a, a driving force of my impact and my purpose and things that I'm doing. And uh, after college, I had the opportunity to work for an amazing family-owned company here in Chicago, Illinois, called WS Darling Company. Darling does amazing work for first responders in the military and humanitarian markets. We do all sorts of pumps, trucks, equipment. And then I helped commercialize a lot of our new water products, different water treatment, packaged water solutions. And, and I still spend some, uh, quite a bit of time on that. 
Um, but I've, I, I realized within sort of where my, my real heart lies within the water aspect, within the humanitarian markets, many of the people who need it can't afford it. And it, it wasn't necessarily the, the direct garly commercialization play. And I, I ended up hosting some charity golf tournaments in 2015 and raised over $50,000 to fund safe water projects to be installed in Nepal. And I went to Nepal and I think it was 2017, yeah, now, um, and actually got my hands dirty, installed solar and wind-powered water treatment systems at the hospitals and schools there that were impacted by the big earthquake in 2015. And it just kind of forever changed my life to take action. By I, I saw the problem, I raised money for it, I did it, and it was great being on the ground, but I thought, man, there needs to be a more sustainable fundraising solution to pay for these implementation of these grassroots projects. And that's what started me on my social entrepreneurship, social impact journey uh, called Responsible, where I now buy and sell artisan craft wristbands. I've got them on here, the same ones that I first had on there. Nothing fancy, but I, I buy artisan craft wristbands for females, provide them job opportunities, and then reinvest the profits into these different networks of grassroots water charities. And so with that, as well as I've also put on another hat of advising a couple of private foundations, we've now contributed over $500,000 towards different grassroots water initiatives. So those are projects in Flint, Michigan, Shinyanga, uh, Tanzania, and Lima, Peru, in Mexico City, Mexico, and uh, Puerto Rico. Uh, so I, I'm just one guy in Chicago and can't do it all. So I, I work closely with grassroots charities who understand the problem. We reverse engineer the solution and fund it and get it done. Um, so that's that's been a big part of my life the past three years. And then additionally to that, I was at a United Nations Innovation Lab in 2019, and it was a great event, and I loved it. And it's, it was like a thousand change makers from around the world, and it was kind of an opportunity for all of us to stand on our soapbox and talk about impact and social uh, social impact and but i thought hey well what what happens after these events you know my mom would actually used to call me trade show kevin because i'd go to all these events and i always ask <laughs> what what happens what are you going to do differently tomorrow and, and a lot of times people are busy they get back to their desk they you know they, they they've got stuff going on in their lives and it, nothing really changes um so i wanted to create some sort of continued action after this United Nations Sustainable Development Goal Act, um, actually over my shoulder here, you can see the 17 SDGs. And I started a podcast webinar platform for this United Nations group called Unleash. And from that, we've now posted over 75 podcasts on the Sustainable Development Goals. We've now hosted three roundtable chats with, with thought leaders. And the goal is just trying to raise awareness on what is what are the social impact sustainable development goals what are the challenges what are the opportunities um so that that's a little about me and um you know from from day job entrepreneurial efforts and, and side hustle entrepreneurial efforts i could go a mile deep into all of them but uh hopefully you haven't fallen asleep yet um but yeah it's a little <laughs> bit about me no man i i would never fall asleep you're uh i i love love your passion and and i love uh you know, you're you're one of the few people I know that um, talks about this stuff and then actually does something about it. So, Thank you. Re really want to 
uh, acknowledge you there. Um, so, I mean, you are, you're doing so many cool things. It's hard for me to, to even, um, decide where to, where to go first. Um, it, it seems like the, the biggest through line, um, through all of, all of your endeavor, your exciting endeavors is, is water. Um, are you in fact Aquaman? I'm wearing a blue shirt. I have hats <laughs> over my side that say water. Um, I, and I have most of my bookshelf is, is filled with water books, but I will say one book that I couldn't recommend more to anyone that changed my life. And I have it here. Uh, it's called blue mind by mm-hmm. Wallace J Nichols. And I'll just read the cover of it. Blue mind. The surprising science that shows how being near, in, on, or underwater can make you happier, healthier, more connected, and better at what you do. And it just goes into the history of why humans, uh, from, when we're, from when we're first born, to how we go, where we go on vacations, to where the most valuable real estate is, to what you do when you want to calm down. There's science on how our our stress level, cortisol levels go down when we're by the water. So I've just, reading that book kind of helped define my purpose on wanting to, you know, I'm just kind of jumping into this, the get into water projects. And I look at water projects in three buckets. One, safe drinking water projects and hygiene projects. People need access to water and hygiene, SDG6, uh, clean water sanitation projects to do that. The second is uh, watershed restoration, things to improve the Chicago River so you can kayak on it, things to reduce nitrogen runoff from the farms in Green Bay that are causing the nitrogen levels to go crazy. Or three would be water as medicine, blue mine projects, like surf therapy projects for people with autism or PTSD or things like that. Um, so that that all ties into part of my water efforts and water projects. And I would definitely say Am I Aquaman? No, but are we all water people? Yes. <laughs> That's exactly what Aquaman would say. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Oh, that, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it, it really, it makes sense. Like, you know, uh, if you follow the science, like supposedly we all came from water, you know, creatures, like that's that's our origin, right? Like we were... The, the first living uh, creatures on this planet, like we're swimming around in the water. So it, it kind of, you know, it's even, it's even pre caveman uh, satisfaction to be back in the water and, and we're born, you know, in Euro we're in, in water. So, so that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, it, it seems like you, you know, you have a lot of, of very big goals and, and you're very passionate, um, you know, in terms of uh, how, helping the planet to stick around for longer than another 10 years, at least. Yeah. Um, what, why, why was water the, the most important entry point to helping the planet? It's a great question. I mean, I think you could look at all the 17 sustainable development goals and say they're all the most important, <clears throat> but I, I think when you when you look at it from a, a water standpoint, to every single listener, just think about how many times today did you interact with water without thinking about it? 
from when you <laughs> brushed your teeth, from when you made your coffee, from when you took a shower, to when you cooked your food, to when you flushed the toilet, to when, you know, you, then even getting more meta to the power that's that we're using right now uh, to charge our computers. There's a water energy nexus and there's a direct water correlation to the energy that's created. Literally every single thing we do ties in with water. Uh, if we want to go more meta, the amount of water that was needed to create this computer, it's hundreds and thousands of gallons. So it's, it's, it's a fundamental resource that's often taken for granted. There's a Thomas Jefferson quote, uh, you know, we don't realize the worth of water until the well is dry. Um, or another one I like is whiskeys for drinking and waters for fighting over. And it's true. I mean, you, you don't really realize how valuable it is until it's gone. And we take it for granted here often in the developed world countries, but there's many people who spend their entire day thinking about where are they going to get their water? And then oftentimes that water is contaminated. Um, you know, but the, the big thing to think about with water too, is that my water story, we, while you and I may have similar water stories, they're different. Uh, Grant, we're in Chicago, so it's, you know a lot of similarities, but the water story is different from Illinois than it is to Florida, than it is from Peru to Rwanda. And water is a very emotional thing. There's a lot of spirituality tied into it. There's a lot of emotion tied into it. And a lot of people um, just, there's, and then on top of that, there's there's laws that have been written that that kind of make it to where water is underappreciated. Um, I think like water in the West is one of the most fascinating, unfortunate stories where it's not, water is not properly valued. And when something is not properly valued, you don't appreciate it. And that's caused a lot of different imbalances of our access to water. So there's so many stories and topics that we could go into, but I just, I, th I look at it as the most fundamental resource that we all need and, and often, unfortunately, take for granted. Mm -hmm. That, that's making me think of uh, space travel and how water is, what, what is it worth, like $100,000 a liter or something in space? Yeah, I don't, I don't quite know the, the, the going rate in space, but I, I do know that you know, we've, we've, we've found some pretty good water recycling technology up there to recycle mm -hmm. and, and not waste any drop up there. And, and just speaking of space, I mean, there's a reason why Earth is is a, a life-sustaining planet. You know, it's got water. Uh, we don't. <laughs> we think there's other life out there. We don't know. But there's why is why is Mars and why are these other planets not uh, giving life to these other planets that um, you know have life? Uh, you know, none mm -hmm. of them have water. And, yeah. Or I mean, actually, you know, I guess Pluto. If I was I was bummed when Pluto is deemed not a planet anymore, but it's just a, <laughs> a frozen frozen ball of ice. So I think it's it's only water, but it's too cold. Yeah. Well, it seems like um, like perhaps advances in space travel and more kind of uh, accessibility to space travel will improve the perception of water because I mean not only. Do you need it uh, to obviously drink, but to like grow food? And then, you know, they make rocket fuel out of water. You know, hi hydrogen uh, bombs, like that's part of water, H2O. <laughs> so, Split it, splitting a hydrogen atom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's um, crazy. So that's, that, that's a really, uh, I, I mean, that that's, 
isn't that like step one of of uh of colonizing mars is like melting the the ice caps so that there's liquid water on the planet yeah i i i can't speak too eloquently on it i know that was part of the the conversation and i would definitely want to tweet elon musk right now and ask him what he (laughs) thinks because frankly he's he's probably got a better hold on it than than anyone yeah he's probably too busy uh trolling people on twitter and reddit yeah or clubhouse which is like all the the rave now and he's he's been on clubhouse now quite a bit oh yeah so give him credit for that yeah um that's awesome man um so so let's take a step back so you you've been working with darley since 2000 what 2012 12 okay cool how how did you get involved with them and and what do you what's like your major focus with darley yeah yeah i uh fortunately grew up knowing some of the darley family uh through kind of an extended family friend connection and um it's it's a uh, I kind of came out of college knowing that my two north stars were water and China and and the CEO Paul Darley had told me that they had a China operation going on and we had a growing water effort and I had been studying Chinese and loved water and, and did a lot of work with that and studying in college and just kind of led to a job opportunity within Darley and Darley being a private family company we we have a lot mm-hmm. of processes that have got us where we are but we also sometimes just move quick move fast paul always talks it's not the big that eats the small it's the the fast eats the slow so paul brought me on and and just started running and and i think when we did that we made a lot of mistakes um you know we've had some we've had some wins within water we've also had a lot of you know l's in water um so we've we've done different things from truck integrated water purification for disaster preparation and response, portable decentralized water treatment systems that take dirty water and turn to clean water for dismounted troops or dismounted first responders. A product I helped commercialize is a water in the box. So think like wine in the box, Franzia slap the bag, but water in the box where you're just, um, it's military likes it because you can drop it out of planes and it has less breakage. It's more ergonomic, um, so that, that's that's very much my water story, and and I, I continue to to put some effort towards it. But within Darley, we're we're a very diverse company. We've got over six divisions from making different types of pumps, making different types of truck bodies, making trucks, selling all different types of defense and fire equipment to warfighters and first responders, and a whole range of other fire safety applications. Um, but I think. And I, it was around two years ago where the opportunity presented itself within virtual reality training solutions, where they needed someone to sort of step up to fill the void with with some of our vendor partners. And I've now been religiously drinking out of the virtual reality immersive learning cup for about two years. Um, and that's that's probably where I spend 60 to 70% of my darling time now, where pretty much any time there's a training effort where it's something that's expensive, uh, health risk or environmental risk. We can now create different types of virtual reality training content and train you more effectively and efficiently. So I, I now have the, the, the pleasure of working with some amazing VR companies that are based out of the Netherlands, the UK and Australia. And, you know, we're, 
got a couple different exciting DOD and DHS and first responder applications where we can create those once in a lifetime training scenarios and put you in that situation and cause you and allow you to fail without dying. You know, you can now <laughs> test what it's like to deal with a electrical car that's on fire next to a propane tank and run through what are the situations you should consider before you start taking taking action. Um, so I think mm -hmm. the, and there, there's so much to, to the space, but it, it's, it's moving quick. The hardware costs have come down tremendously. And now it, it's, just, it's, just, it's the software and the content that are is coming up fast and there's some companies doing amazing stuff and i love to to be a practitioner actually above me i'll turn my camera up i got a vr headset up there mm -hmm. um over uh my left shoulder right there and it's just um it's amazing to be inside of a vr headset if you haven't and we're, we've got some really cool virtual reality technology coming up too that um you know it's both used for training and and also for some community risk reduction too technology uh, I just kind of give one final example. We've also, SA Community Risk Reduction, we've created content to help build empathy for communities. So one example is we create a video on what it's like from the eyes of a firefighter when you're responding to a fire. And so if you are driving on the street, you should pull over and it kind of gives you the reason why you should pull over, like why you shouldn't be quote unquote that guy that's just like <laughs> has their has their windows up and their, their sound on and gets in the way and, you know, seconds our lives and in, when you're in the context of first responders. So we created this video and we then put it on YouTube and you can also use your smartphone with a cardboard headset. And it's an empathy building video on why you should pull to the right when you see sirens. And it's, it, you know, we've, we have thousands of, of YouTube watches and we want to scale that up. Um, so that was just one of the one of the examples, and that's a that's a kind of a small snippet into a lot of the work I do within Darley. And I guess the last thing within Darley too, just to give a final context, is we have a family foundation that does amazing work, and I help manage some of our investments that the family foundation makes into nonprofits, and just continue to communicate all the good that the company does, because um, I think more and more companies don't really care about what you do uh, it's more about why you do it and it's no longer just about maximizing shareholder value but darley does some amazing stuff i mean we support you know charity foundations scholarship funds for female firefighters we support a lot of the burn foundations we support a lot of wounded warrior initiatives and it's just now finding that balance of how do we talk about that in a way that's not too self-serving but also just wanting to to also highlight these nonprofits because while we support them, we want more people to support them too. Awesome. Yeah, no, I, I'm a huge fan of, of all the work that Darley is doing. Um, I, I sat in on uh, Paul's interview on, on Gary's podcast and that was really exciting. He, he's fourth generation. Is that, am I remembering that? Yeah, right? no, Paul, Paul is actually third generation. Third generation, okay. Yeah, and then the kids in the family, uh, many of which I work with, are fourth generation, and yeah. there are some fifth gen alive and running around, <laughs> and there might even be sixth gen. I, I, might, I hope I'm not speaking, but I, there's definitely fifth gen running around. Yeah, and, uh, you know, lots, lots of darling mouths to feed. Yeah, 
No, and and you know, uh, uh, I've only met Paul and you, but you know, extrapolating that out, I, I imagine uh, Dar Darley is a really really uh, nice company full of awesome people. Um, yeah. So so you said you're spending sixty to seventy percent of your time uh, on focused on on VR. So it sounds like you and Darley are, are very bullish on the, the future of VR, the potential for VR. Um, you know, right now it seems like people are aware of VR, but no one seems to really be setting the world on fire with it, I'd say. You know, P yeah. PlayStation has VR, Facebook has the, you know, little, uh, Oculus is for 200 or 300 bucks, but like I, I, I have one friend who's like, you know, kind of a, a early adopter on everything. He loves it. I love it, but I don't know anyone else besides you that, you know, is doing <laughs> anything with VR. So what, what is, yeah. what, what do you see as, as the value and the potential um, for VR in, you know, now and into the next five years or so? Yeah, I mean, good good points and good question. I, frankly, a lot of people's perception of VR is that it's just a game. It's just for gaming. And while there's some truth to the fact that gaming was the first thing that brought it to life. I mean, there's so much money in games, so gaming is always going to be kind of like the first thing that takes off. So, God bless gaming. It helped kind of bring it here. But I mean, in my hand, I'm holding this headset. <clears throat> it's from Pico. It's, it's, a, it's called Three Degrees of Freedom Headset. <clears throat> me. Um, but the amazing thing about this, when you, when you think about it, you can put this headset on and be anywhere. So I could now put this headset on and I could be, and I'm just putting it in the context of first responders, I could be in front of a electrical car fire next to a kerosene tank. I could be in front of a smoke building, smoke, a building that's on fire with smoke coming out of it. I could be on a fire truck that's moving all from here in my home. And I think that's a big thing where people think that a lot of times it's for gaming, but we now have the ability to make content, distribute it on these headsets, which are a couple hundred bucks and conduct real training. And we don't want to say that we're replacing training, but it's complementing training. And now COVID has made training so challenging. It's on top of that, it's, it's almost impossible to do a live burn these days. So now we're able to create these training environments within VR headsets. And frankly, is it, it it's maybe still a two years from like really wide stream mainstream adoption, but we've experienced an early adopter curve in the last year and in, in really the last 18 months, I would say we had a lot of early adopters and, of course, a lot of a lot of uh, hiccups with the technology. Of course, like with anything, but I think we've I've now feel comfortable where the technology is at scale, it's stable, and you're starting to see customers embody it. And I, I think the other big thing too is major organizations need to hit certain training check marks, and whether that's meeting OSHA requirements, operational health and safety administration stuff or it's just, you know, government regulations, they have to check a box. And if you can't travel and you can't get together, now our backs against the wall to innovate. And VR is a very effective means of 
innovating to meet training requirements. And I see training as the next frontier within VR that will take shape. And I think it's the here and now, but you'll, it'll definitely see hockey stick growth, I imagine, in the next 24 to 48 months. Really? That soon? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, we're sales have, have been good so far. I mean, <laughs> I, we've had to find the right customers uh, mm-hmm. with the because it's not, we have different products for different customers, but it's, there's the, there's a need for it from, for us. We're seeing out of training, training academies, community colleges, universities, larger fire departments with more than a hundred firefighters. There's money to be saved and efficiencies to be had. And when you break it down to numbers and cents, it, it makes it a pretty easy business decision. Yeah. Um, did, so I, I would imagine that the, the pandemic arguably might have helped VR adoption. 100%. It, it accelerated it substantially. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, I didn't even think of that until now, but you know, the, in, in my mind, the, the great silver lining of the pandemic is like, hey, maybe 80, 80% of people that go to work don't actually need to go to work to actually get their jobs done. And, you know, it, it sounds like you and I have been kind of living that lifestyle for a number of years already. Um, but, but it's yeah. nice that, you know, a lot of people that <clears throat> endure daily hour plus commutes each way are like, holy crap, I can, I have two plus extra hours a day where I can get work done that I'm not miserable. It it changed my life a hundred percent. (laughs) And, and yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of good with a a caveat that come out that has come out of COVID come out of COVID. And I think we're going to, especially from like a travel, I think the trade show industry is, has a huge red, red target on its back. I mean, Mm-hmm. business has continued to grow and a lot of things are happening. I think a lot of times, you know, speak for Darley uh, and other companies, we'd go to a lot of trade shows just because we didn't want to have the perception of us not being there. And someone would be like, Oh, what Darley's in the, is setting up with Darley or why isn't, why aren't they here? But I think now the attitude's like, man, like, like we really just don't want to spend money on if there's not a good ROI. And if, if there's not a defined ROI from a trade show or travel, do it virtually, uh, host a webinar, uh, do a video call. Like, so that, I mean, obviously we could, we could do a deep dive into every industry, but our lives have changed a lot. And I think hope, mostly for the better, unfortunately, I, you know, knock on wood, healthy and happy and things are good, but everything else, I think it's exciting to see how the world is going to continue to change for the better from this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that is the one thing that I have not found an adequate virtual replacement for, which is networking, like going to an event about a subject and just before it starts, after it ends, just interacting, engaging with other like-minded attendees. Like, well, I, I've not dude, are you that. Are you on Clubhouse? No, is that? You should download it right now. Um, really? It's, it's actually, we're talking about things that have changed in my life. Clubhouse has changed my life for the better. Um, exactly really? what you just said. 
of wanting the need to have those conversations before, during, and after a trade show. The the time that you're going to the bar after the show and just you just ten five five people talking. Um, and you know, I can I can pull it up right now, but basically there is these different niche rooms that exist and you know, I'm I'm into all these different things. But right now, there's a room from the Climate Crisis Club. It's a group on faults and opportunities in urban planning. There's a hundred people in here. Um, you know, I'm gonna go into it and turn the volume down. But you have speakers that are leading discussion, and then people who are just listening. And you can raise your hand and come on stage and then have a conversation. And there's no there's no recording of the information, so it's kind of like this FOMO. You want to be in it. And you, you can't communicate in the app. I guess I can show it here. You can't communicate in the app, but then what you can do is you can go to someone's profile uh, and then ultimately get to their Twitter or their Instagram here. So from this, you're able to just network with people, have real conversations live. So I, like you, missed those connections and all those things that were happening. Um, but Clubhouse has now kind of filled this void. And I, I was telling my fiance that I was like, I was like, Laura, I'm in love. I was like, with an app. And I've literally been on a Clubhouse uh, at least three hours a day, upwards of six hours a day for the past six days. So Whoa. I might I might be addicted, uh, but I, I couldn't recommend it more to anyone wow. that's trying to network and just sort of get in the know on niche topics with other people. Mm -hmm. What, what have you been doing on there? What have you learned? Uh, what I've learned is that there are people from around the world that are passionate, I mean, at least about the topics that I'm interested in from fire and water commercialization technology, but there's, there's a lot of reason to be pessimistic about things going on in the world, but hearing and talking with other people, there's a lot of amazing use cases and case studies of inspiration and hope and opportunities that are going on that I wasn't aware of. And people want to help people. So I've just con I've connected with people who, who want to have me on their podcast, that want to help me fundraise, that want to introduce me to people, that want to get involved. And I think if, if you're authentic and you talk with other people that are also interested in what you're interested in, it's going to be a lot easier to accomplish your goals as a force, mul force multiplier with other people than just myself. So I think, again, just the networking part. Like I mm -hmm. was like, I, I'm a human that strives and thrives on human interaction. Mm -hmm. um, and so now this has kind of given me an opportunity to chat. And, um, you know, I look forward to hearing about your love with Clubhouse too oh, here yeah, shortly I'm gonna, too. I'm going to jump on after we're done talking. The only caveat is that it's only for iPhone right now which is uh, a major, even major better. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm in the, and a weird thing too, you have to like get invited. It's like creates a community of exclusivity, even uh -oh. though you can get on eventually, but I'll, uh, I got one invite left. So I'll shoot your way after this call. Okay. I, yeah. If you don't want to waste your invite on me, I want to say a friend also invited me, but I was like, whatever spammer. <laughs> <laughs> No, man, it's, uh, it's the real thing. I promise you. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. So it sounds like you're, you're learning on clubhouse and you're making connections. Um, that itself is more than 
uh, enough to get me to check it out. But what what about kind of prospecting or finding uh, you know new clients? Do you think that's possible? Yeah, I a hundred percent. I mean, granted, um, you know, I'm just kind of looking at now, but again, it depends on what you're looking for, but you type in if you're a digital marketer you can go into you can type in and go to the digital marketing club and in the club you can see the ten thousand people that are part of that club and you can look at every single person and then look at all their profiles and go to all their instagrams or twitters they're not all going to be clients but five of those ten thousand could be partners 25 of those could be customers um so i think it's again it's a way to aggregate niche communities in a way that is a super engaging, active way. And I think one of the best things to do, what I've done is, you know, I go into rooms and I listen, I raise my hand, give my two cents, people ask questions back and forth. And there's different formats as you've seen with podcasts and webinars. Sometimes it's round table, sometimes it's presentations, sometimes it's pitches, sometimes it's, um, you know, rapid fire question Q and A. So you see all those kinds of formats there. And, and for me, it's just exciting to, to be part, to, to kind of be in the know. Like I used mm-hmm. to just listen to music and podcasts, but now I'm, I'm just listening to, it's sort of nice to just know like, what, what does the market really feel? Like, what are people mm-hmm. really saying? And Clubhouse has, has given me that. And granted, you know, I guess I'm moving club or board right now, but I mean, I'm okay with that just because I think it's really early and it's a good opportunity. As Gary Vaynerchuk, my favorite entrepreneur would say, you know, there's land grab opportunity right now on this platform. So mm-hmm. kind of like Facebook in the early, you know, early 2000s, you know, Instagram, you know, early, when all the platforms were early, you, you get on, if you get on there early, there's a huge advantage. And I think mm-hmm. that advantage is definitely now with Clubhouse. Yeah. Um, is that how you heard about it through Gary V? Of course, all good things <laughs> come from Gary V. Well, that's not entirely true, but most, most good things in my life have come from a Gary V inspiration. Yeah. I, I, uh, I really respect what Gary V is doing. Um, for whatever reason, uh, Tim Ferriss is like my kind of preference. Oh yeah. I got Tim Ferriss book somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I mean, I, I love them all. I think you just kind of got to find what, what, uh, what aligns with you, what speaks to you. I mean, they mm-hmm. all are great. And I, I listen to Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Gary Vaynerchuk. Just, I think it just depends on your style and mm-hmm. how you want to consume it. Um, so I, I appreciate them all. And I've definitely yeah. learned a lot from Tim Ferriss too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, well, that's super cool. I'm, I'm definitely going to check out Clubhouse. Um, I, I was going like, um, you know, with all the VR talk and um, I, I was recently invited to, uh, what is it called? It starts with a V. It's like a virtual world where people have like networking events and give presentations. Uh, it's called like uh, Ver, Verbella or something. Ver, Verbella. Yeah, I've been on that a few times. Yeah. So, you know, what what I'm waiting for, and and I'll have to see if if Clubhouse scratches this itch, but like, you know, VR networking, where you're in a world like Verbella, you know, maybe you look like you, maybe you have an avatar, but you're able to 
you know, move and interact and kind of like tune in with one person, like at a group outing, maybe within a clubhouse or maybe within Verbella or something. Yeah. No, yeah, that's definitely not clubhouse, but I think like a Verbella, but with better avatars and slightly more realism. Verbella is really cool. Virtual avatars. It's all computer generated imagery based. I should connect you with my other friend, Alex Harvey, who's one of the VR companies I work with out of the UK. He's all about photogrammetry and photorealism, where he'll go into an area and take a thousand photos of something and scan it, put it into a virtual environment. And it's, it is the real pen. You know, it's not like a fake pen. It's, it's the pen in the virtual environment. And you can do the same with your face. And you can do the same, you know, taking photos of it to where you could be in a virtual environment and some of your body would, you know, probably just be, you know, computer generated, but your face and everything could be real. And then you could be looking at people and just being a virtual, you know, yeah. kickback. Um, one, guess I'll kind of give a, a, a fear of that is it's really cool to think about the good you can do there, which is happening. But then it gets into the whole notion of just deep fakes, um, which are happening where um, I don't know if you've seen Black Mirror or if you watch that at all. But of course. Dude, oh, just like even the first Black episode, Man. the first episode where they're kind of like, oh, is that a, is it actually the the princess? You know, is it actually the 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 princess of Duchess or whoever she is? And and it's sort of you start questioning like, what well, is that person real? Or and then you could you know someone could take photos of me and then put me on the video and show me robbing a bank, and they could have this video and be like, yo, Kevin, we robbed the bank, but it was like, no, I actually didn't, but the video says I does did so. There's a definitely a, a crazy existential, philosophical, weird, yeah. slippery slope with with the deep fake conversation within VR and, and videos. But yeah, who knows? We'll see how that unfolds. I, I'm, uh, you know, I, I think the uh, another benefit of the pandemic is like, you know, maybe we should just create photorealistic virtual recreations of everything with haptic suits and force feedback and, and, you know, not risk our soft, you know, water-based meat bodies uh, out there yeah. in the world. Um, but, but then, you know, you take it one step further than that. And you're like, wait a minute, are we already in that simulation? <laughs> yeah, I know. Is this like a dream? Is this some inception right now? Some dream within a dream? Like I, I yeah. don't even know. Yeah. And that, and that, you know, is like, is the AI gonna get us first? Is the the simulation gonna get us first? Like, like what what do we realize that this is all fake, or what what destroys us first, <laughs> or climate change, or you know? Yeah, it's kind of uh, it's 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 a it's a rough uh, rough path to to extrapolate. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. But but that's uh that's that's for a different time. Another um, podcast. Yeah yeah. Um, well that that's awesome man. Um, so it, you're you're working with a lot of uh firefighter like uh, firefight firefighter departments, uh, creating VR for for VR experiences VR trainings for them, um, yep. like. You know, it, it seems like a lot of these kind of well-established, like, old guard um, institutions are probably like, we don't need that. We we put 
practice fires out for real. Like how how do yeah. you how do you talk a an old school institution into adopting uh, VR? Dude, you're just talking about the challenge I face every day. Where <laughs> the image of my what I fall asleep to sometimes is just like the stonks a little bit overweight firefighter with his arms crossed with a thick mustache, just like shaking his head. No. Uh, and, and that's, that's a reality where a phrase that firefighters don't like to hear, but in some regards it's true is the fire service is a uh, hundred years of tradition unimpeded by progress. And <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a phrase that firefighters hate. And there's some truth to it, but some a lot of a lot of myths behind it. But at the same time, there's just a lot of thinking uh, dots behind fire service where it's, hey, you put the wet stuff on the red stuff, and you know we get in, we get out. Um, but I think when you look at line of duty deaths, and you look at training deaths, and then you look at especially cancer, the the, the deaths that are positive, firefighter deaths are uh, heart rate, uh, heart attacks. Um, different aspects of cancer, uh, suicide. So why are these things happening? And there's a lot of unfortunate deaths that are happening. So how do, how do we combat that? So from a health standpoint, why put firefighters at risk of carcinogens in excessive training when we could accomplish nearly the same thing in VR? Especially we're seeing higher rates of cancer within the fire trainers because they're just out there training all the time and getting exposed to carcinogens. So I'm not saying eliminate live fire, but maybe as opposed to doing it once a quarter, do it once a year and just reduce the carcinogen exposure. So that one, that's one argument. The other is that you want to do a live fire. You can't even do it anymore. The, the environmental restrictions and the ability for you to, to light a fire is almost impossible. And then on top of that, we use foam a lot in fire and foam. I'm sure you've heard of you know, the documentary dark waters and the whole issues of PFAS and foam is a big part of how we fight certain fires. Having said that we can't use foam in training anymore. Foam has a completely different mechanism of feel when you're actually shooting it through a hose and a nozzle, it's way different than water. We can't practice on it, but we can practice on VR. And then, then it's the cost, you know, it comes down to dollars and cents. So all we can do in my life is, is I lead a horse to water. I give them the facts, give them some case studies, show the uses of it, um, allow, uh, you know, I feel like case studies and pilot programs have been the biggest thing to help us get over it. Because once, once you're in it and you feel it, you're like, whoa. This actually, you get their brains thinking. And once they're thinking about how they're starting to put it into their program, that's when I've kind of like, all right, like, yes, we're, we're getting there. Um, but yeah, I mean, tech, technical sales of, of expensive equipment, right? expensive, I guess, is subjective based on what you're talking, you're talking to, but it's, it's just a challenge. So it's sales cycles are as short as three months, but, but as long as 24 months and, it just, it's, it's a challenge, but I think the fire service, especially across all industries, millennials and Gen Z grew up in technology and they, they're very comfortable with training and you're seeing more millennials start to come to power, um, you know, in their thirties, 35s and below or so. So they're starting to be the ones with decision power. So 
that's where I'm confident that you'll continue to see more widespread adoption and, and less resistance. Mm -hmm. Nice. And, and how do you find uh, these potential VR uh, users or institutions that you can benefit with VR? Yeah, I mean, one, this, for example, is a, is a lab from a very distinguished university in the East Coast, and they can't train live fires for unextinguisher training. And they have a problem with different types of fires that happen in science labs. And they were like, we need to do something and we can't do live fires. We need to, we'd like to hear from you and work with you. And they saw the quote, they saw the, the reference and you know, they're now going to buy some virtual reality fire extinguisher trainers. And it's, it's definitely, we're doing some push marketing um, and, and pushing it out there and trying to get some inbound leads. But I think as long as we just continue to, to show that we're the thought leaders and we're the virtual reality leaders within the first responder training space, we're confident that more people will continue to come with us. And we have a lot of stuff set, but everything is customizable and content can be created for your specific needs. And that's what it's all about making it contextual to you. So this is a valuable piece. And one point I, I don't know if I said earlier, but first responders and fire training departments, they're not buying virtual reality equipment. They're buying better firefighters and just communicating and showing that in terms of efficiency gains across cost, health environment, as well as, as, well as just the ability to be more prepared for when that situation happens. That's what they're buying. And, and we're just continuing to try and drill into that. Mm -hmm. Nice. So, and, and you and, and Darley are, are actually designing the VR training experiences? Part, yes. I mean, we've got, got some pretty smart VR techies based out of the, the UK, the Netherlands, and Australia that I work with very closely. Um, mm -hmm. So part of my life is I work with engineers on one side and then I work with the end the market and I sort of break down engineers trying to make things too complicated and make it consumable for the end user and figure out everything in between to to push that through the market. Mm -hmm. Do you do you all have uh, plans to make kind of like turnkey experiences or are you already doing that or? Yeah, there's some there's some turnkey. I mean, training uh, as far as like experiences. I mean, we have some of these empathy building videos, um, but I mean, it's, it's a very growing competitive space and I, I barely can, can keep my head above water just thinking about training. <laughs> um, so that's, that's at least where I'm going to continue to live for now. Yeah. So what, um, you know, with, with these kind of old school, uh, institution, you know, you, you might know, before the media even starts, whether they're going to be receptive to this, but for, for the people that are kind of, maybe they're a little receptive, but you know, they've one and a half feet in the old school. We don't need this. How, how do you convince them that this is valuable and beneficial to them? I mean, I, I kind of touched on it earlier, but if, if you could prevent the, the death of a, a firefighter um, to 15 <clears throat> years from now from, from less cancer, from less carcinogen exposure, 
if you could prepare your firefighter to be more equipped with the once in a lifetime situation before that happens, would you do that? And, and then of course, like I said, the environmental health and economic cost, those are all just numbers and stats and fact-based. Mm -hmm. So it's, again, I, you, sometimes you can't sell someone that doesn't want to be sold to. And, and I, I try to never sell. I try to just present facts and show the technology and let the end user go from there. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I kind of live by the best salesmen are those who are never actually selling. And I try to live by that model and just bring it up and talk about it. And let's, let's hear about your challenges and, and try and see if this, this can bring value. If not, not a big deal. Yeah. Awesome. Um, do you, uh, you probably did a lot of traveling before the pandemic. Uh, are you kind of grounded now? I've been grounded. I did have a work travel in December, which was pretty awesome, um, yeah. for, for a VR project, but yeah, I just, I don't see in our industry, there's, there's not going to be anything till spring of 2022. Um, and even still it's going to be pulled back. Um, that that's just my perspective. I mean, I'm hopeful that you know, the vaccines and things are rolling out and things are good and things are going to plan. But yeah, I, I definitely miss, you know, I, I miss getting on a plane and, and that unknown of what's going to be like on the other end and, <laughs> and just like hustling and shaking hands and, and staying up late and in hotel rooms, working on things. I mean, I, I thrive off that. I miss that. But again, I got a roof over my head. I got a dog. I got a fiance. I got, I got food in the fridge, so I all in all, I I'm I'm very grateful and can't can't sit here complaining about what I don't have anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, so it, it sounds like the the firefighters are, are kind of the the lion's share of of your VR focus. You know, I, I think that makes a lot of sense with Darley's uh, history serving firefighters. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in, in my mind, it's like, well, this could be great for police officers as well. You know, they're, they're getting so much kind of, uh, bad press for, for overreacting to certain situations, it, it seems. Um, yep. so I, I guess my, my question to you is like, what, what other industries do you think could majorly benefit from VR? Yeah. Training? Police, police is huge. Are we, we do sell to the police world. Um, granted, we we have one product that would make sense for them, but hasn't been a huge priority. But yeah, I mean, you see all these things that happen this summer and, and terrible, unfortunate shootings that happen. I, I do also sympathize at times with the police where they're forced to make a split second decision. You know, there's a siren going outside. I'm not sure what-, what uh, <laughs> They're coming to arrest us. Yeah. <laughs> But it's the a law, law enforcement is one of the hardest jobs in the world. I, I commend them. I, I don't think they're all bad. I think there are some that have made bad decisions um, at certain times, but a lot of it's the lack of training. And mm -hmm. gosh, I think about you, you just think about your heart rate when you're it's pumping as fast as possible and you're in a life and death situation and you see someone that might have a gun and you think about your family and kid at home. You're like, you know, unfortunately, there's been times where people have pulled the trigger when they shouldn't have. Um, you know, now, yeah, they're definitely really after us after talking about them. Um, so I guess the, the police have a tough job, but 
it's about de-escalating in ways that is not lethal when it's not needed. And part of that's continuing to recreate those high stress environments. Like we want you to be sweating. We want you to be uncomfortable and we want you to get into the mode of how, what's your decision-making process now. And if you, if you don't have that training before you get into the job, we're going to get into the job and potentially make a terrible decision. So again, more reason why, yes, police makes a lot of sense. Um, other, other applications that I'm in love with um, right now are, is for therapy. Um, think, you know, especially I talked about Blue Mind. Think about long stay hospital patients or people in long term healthcare facilities. Like they just look at like a boring four white wall room all the time and it stinks. Yeah. Um, so creating experiences that can bring the ocean to them, that could bring the forest to them, that could bring a park walk to them and show and sort of distract them and, and get them thinking about other things than just maybe their terminal condition or or just the, the aspect of the going through their therapy so i'm very hot on therapy uh and then other other applications too i mean of course the you're seeing a big movement in, in retail i mean retail is now how to continue to think about how to reinvent themselves with stores being closed so i've seen a lot of traction in the vr space of creating virtual places to walk into and sort of touch and feel and experience clothes and shoes and stuff. So I'm not really in that, but I've definitely seen a lot of traction in that space too. Yeah. I, I definitely want a VR Netflix that is uh, very similar to Blockbuster from my youth. It's uh, I had my, my friend Alex Harvey that I told you about. He literally mentioned that the other day of uh, you know, Mandalorian and VR, um, all these different aspects of the existing content we have in VR. And it's, it's, it's going to happen. It's just a matter yeah. of when. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that sounds great. And I'm excited for that. But like, I, I don't know if it's just the nostalgia, but I, you know, I hate the Netflix uh, interface. Like it just, it makes it next to impossible to choose because you're like, there's too many good options. And I don't know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to not watch anything. <laughs> just crippled by the different content opportunities. That yeah. Yeah. Too, too many choices. Um, they, they learned nothing from all those studies on uh, grocery stores where if you offered more than five types of peanut butter, people just wouldn't buy peanut butter. <laughs> yeah. Just give me I, my favorite restaurant. I went to Paris with my mom a couple of years ago. Maybe it was I don't know, maybe 10 years ago now. I, coolest thing you walk into the restaurant you literally can't even make a decision there's this four course meal and it's literally all decided for you oh that's yeah. that's perfect they all just right. they just do one thing and do do well um that, that's why i love that's why i love having roommates because normally they're already watching something i'm like cool i don't have to choose and like <laughs> yeah this is great i make mine up for me yeah exactly um, all right. I, I want to, I, I could talk to you about VR all day. It's, it's a, it's a passion of mine. Um, I actually wrote a VR feature that I have shot 95% of and just need to, Oh, cool. Need to figure, <laughs> need to freaking edit. Um, but my, my last VR question probably is, is how do you design a great VR training experience? I think the most important thing is truly understanding what the end user wants to accomplish mm -hmm. and 
you know, like I talked about earlier with, with first responders, it's, they want to be able to understand smoke pattern analysis around the building. Uh, if we're building, doing a community risk reduction in public outreach for a fire department, trying to train the community on fire safety during Christmas, it's, you know, making sure we capture the scene so we can understand what it's like to leave a candle by a tree and the risk that presents. Um, so it, I think the most important thing is getting deep down with customers and understanding what their needs and wants are. And, and then, as I mentioned a little bit, you, we can create content with com computer generated imagery that is kind of high end avatars like Simpsons or use 360 video cameras. Um, so this just kind of depends on the scope of the and style of content that is desired. Um, but those, that's the ultimately how I would go about approaching it. And of course we've got some different pre-planning documents that we send to really understand the needs and just kind of run from that. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Uh, my mind is just racing with uh, all, all kinds of uh, VR training potentials. Um, but but I'll, I'll yeah, save man. that for another another pod. And I'm I'm here to talk shop in any way that I can help uh, support the the feature you talked about or uh, bringing different VR technology applications to market. I I breathe, eat, sleep that all the time. So awesome. Yeah. Well. Uh, well. I'll I'll uh, I'll I'll share more podcasting insights and and you share uh, some VR insights and we'll. You got a deal. We'll trade. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, I, I know you have to run soon. You're a busy guy. I want to respect your time. Um, uh, doing my due diligence before the, the interview, and, and I, you know, knew that you're already an insanely busy guy. Um, but, you know, you, you work for Darley. You're doing VR stuff. You're doing Responsible. You got a podcast, uh, Box of Rain, Comics for Safety. Um, the, these are all awesome uh, in, endeavors, uh, how, how do you, uh, how do you structure your day, your week, your, your time to properly focus on all of these things that you're doing? Yeah. Uh, thanks for bringing that up. I, I haven't even talked about box of rain or, or comics for safety on this calls. And I could, uh, just quickly box of rain is to, it's a solution to, empower brands with the opportunity to contribute safe water to nonprofits before, during, and after disasters. And the, the uh, thesis with Congress for Safety is communicating complex messages in simple ways. And I uh, kind of helped, helped co-found Box of Rain and I'm a board member for Congress for Safety. So could get more into that, but to yeah, how I structure my time. I mean, I've struggled with that over time. And some, some people have different personalities where I like to be doing a lot of things at once. Sometimes I, I do feel overwhelmed where I'm kind of like, wow, I feel like I did nothing. But I love the quote uh, where it's like, you know, people underestimate what they can do in a year and overestimate or overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in 10 years. And I, I sometimes look back at just where I started with Darley nine years ago and, and look back at what, what I've done with some of my side hustles and and do see aspects of the needle being moved with progress and impact. Um, but how I go about my day, I think I've I've really taken along uh, kind of as mentioned with my fiance earlier. We a lot health and wellness, you know, from 
waking up every or every day during the pandemic and working out. And even more so recently, I've been really into a, a breeding technique called Wim Hof, uh, Wim Hof mm-hmm. breeding, Wim Hof method. And I think that just every morning gets me to a good mindset. And, and I think continue to remind myself of I'm, I'm very small. I'm just kind of one guy in this world trying to, to make an impact, but at the same time, know that I know that I can make a positive impact in others. And I want to do everything I can to help make that a reality. Um, and so now I need to maximize my time throughout the day. Um, but I also, Darley is the most important thing I need to do. And I need to put in the time to continue to bring value to Darley. And a lot of that overlaps with my other side hustle. So it's, as I, I think about Gary Vee a lot. He just talks about squeezing the most of every minute. And if there's a 30 minute meeting, make it 14 minutes. If there is someone, something you could say no to because it's not worth your time, say no to it. So I've, I've been trying to say no to more stuff and I've been just trying to make the most out of every minute. And, and with that as well, taking breaks. I mean, it, I find that if I do the breathing or if I take breaks in a day, walking my dog, it helps maximize how productive I can be throughout 12 hours. So mm-hmm. those are little things that I think about. I'm not a perfect science. I don't have it all figured out, but I do. It does make me very upset when I'm not productive or if I do double work. So I, I'm always interested in productivity hacks and productivity gains. And, um, you know, I guess the last thing I would say is, is always just trying to create some weekly priority list. And as long as I know what are the top most important things, if there's at least one thing, just, I think there's a, actually one book that I have here as well that I love is uh, just called the one thing, you know, and it keeps, mm-hmm. it gets granular of like, what's the one thing in the year? What's the one thing in the the quarter, the month, the week, the, the day. And if you can kind of go, go to bed every night thinking, you know, I, I did this one thing that, that pushed a little bit forward and, and recap and do an audit every week and month um, and simplify into just one thing. Um, it helps try to helps you prevent getting overwhelmed by all the the hundred things that you need to do, but realize that there's definitely a priority list that you need to set. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you have any assistance like uh, an executive assistant or virtual workers or anything like that? I, yeah, I leverage Fiverr quite a bit. I have uh, one assistant that helps me with content creation and content distribution. Um, She's, she's now based in LA. Um, but yeah, I think it's also acknowledging you don't have to do everything. If you can afford bringing on people to help you with stuff, do it. If you can't, then you just need to put in more time. And I think it also just depends what what are your ambitions and do your do your actions meet, match your ambitions. And if you want to grow and get big, then it's either time or money to make it happen. And um, I definitely, I suck at a lot of stuff. But now it's just a matter of <laughs> I like to focus on what I'm good at and not try and beat myself up on the fact that I'm not very good at editing or or you know writing, for example. I mean, there's just things that I know I'm other people are better at than myself. Yeah. So how how do you uh, um, focus? Well, how how do you figure out what you're good at and then focus on it and then outsource what you're not? good at or don't like to do what's your strategy i mean with podcasting i found myself i i love capturing the edit the audio and i love talking but then i found myself editing and i was pulling my hair out getting upset getting angry and i was like okay like i love this but i actually i really don't like editing maybe someone else should do my editing yeah um 
So, I mean, I think it's just doing the, doing an audit on yourself and having self-awareness about what lights you on fire in a good way, what you love. And, and I think that's a good also thing to, to kind of find your passion of what's one thing that, that keeps you up at night that you really can't, can't focus, can't live with, you can't imagine not working towards. And then I think work towards that, but then also on the stuff that you're not good at. People talk about trying to really work on those things that we're going to be not good at. I think you're better off doubling down on what your strengths are and finding co-partners and co-founders and people on Fiverr to outsource your weaknesses. Yeah, I, I love Fiverr. Um, we, Gary interviewed a guy who started a website called onlinejobs.ph and it's like yeah. Fiverr Upwork on crack. <laughs> Really, onlinejobs.ph. I'll check that yeah, out. Yeah, it's uh, it's all Filipino workers, and uh, you you just pay seventy bucks for a month of membership, and then you have access to their entire database of Filipino workers. Um, I've I just hired like six of them. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I I I gotta check that out, and I think that's you know obviously. There's a cost of the labor somewhere, and um, I I know Filipino as a as a big virtual assistant market. Yeah, well, their 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 English is excellent. Uh, they're very trustworthy. They're very hardworking. They're very loyal, um, and and they're just they're very detail oriented. Like I have them write content, like for American yeah. audiences. Yeah, I mean it's also interesting looking at. I love. I, I've spoken with a few Filipinos and it's like, well, why is our English so good? And it's where I love history. And it just like ties back to the American colonialization of the Philippines in the, the late 1800s, mm -hmm. early 1900s. And, um, you know, and there's still everything in Phil the Philippines is in English and, and Tagalog. Tagalog. Um, and yeah, there's just, there's just such a strong English presence in the Philippines and mm -hmm. the labor market is, is definitely cheaper there than it is in the, in the stateside. Mm -hmm. yeah it's uh it's it's why it's wild <laughs> like i thought yeah i thought fiverr and upwork were like you know amazing deals like on online jobs is the is the is the secret i think i uh, will check it out yeah um cool well, I, I know you got a roll soon i i have about 30 questions that i would love to ask you but i'll, I'll wait for another time um my my final two questions before you have to go. Um, what what you know? It, it sounds like you're very passionate about um, doing everything you can to ensure the not not only sur survival but uh, thriving of the world now and into the future. What 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 are some actionable things that anyone can do right now to to make a difference? Um, Good question. I think about this a lot where we often, I, I, I think back about the Al Gore Inconvenient Truth documentary where mm -hmm. he was up on stage talking about the climate and how kind of world was going to hell in a handbasket and, and we were all doomed. Um, and I think everyone kind of thought, hey, I'm the individual, I can't do anything. Uh, but you as the individual actually do have quite a bit of power from your wallet, your buying power in terms of where you actually spend your dollars. Um, you have different aspects to what you can do from if you're passionate about something, writing or communicating to your local members of your community, 
um, whether it's the mayor or the stakeholders, those are maybe a little bit more macro grandiose. But what you can do are simple things, like whether it's using a reusable bag, like keeping your fridge closed, uh, trying to do different things to reduce. If you eat a lot of meat, try reducing it by 10, 20, 30%. Um, you know, it's not rocket science to be a sustainable human. There's like a hundred different things you could do. But also it's not just being a sustainable human, it's about just being a good human. And that could be just smiling at someone, holding the door open. If someone's having a rough day, asking about how they're doing or how you could possibly help. So those are those are things that I, I always throw out are just like super tangible and simple things you can do. And, and of course I could go a mile deep if you want further into the aspects of recycling and aspects of things of getting involved in the community. But probably the last thing I'd say is People may not have money to donate, but you do have your time. So there's a lot of ways where you could contribute your time in a way where it's tutoring or empowerment or helping. So if, if you've got time that you can donate, um, there's a lot of organizations that would that would love that. Um, so I would just recommend trying to donate. And selfishly, it feels really good to be selfless and help others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's I, I've always uh, noticed that myself. People are like, oh, thank you so much for volunteering or donating or whatever. And as and as appreciative as they are, like I feel better than they probably do. <laughs> yeah, like Gary Vee talks about it. He's like, I'm I'm selfish about being selfless. And yeah. I, I live by that where it feels really good to help other people. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, awesome. And my final, uh, actual question for you before I ask, uh, where people can find out more about you. Um, what, what are you working towards? I'm working towards a more sustainable, equitable, and prosperous world. And that applies across many aspects across society. And I think the um, sustainable development goals is a framework I use to bring and insights and just a framework to define these problems. And and frankly, I I want to inspire and encourage everyone that it's not impossible to do good. You can do good. And um, it's uh this is my lovely fiance here, Hi. Laura, Hello. <laughs> who's uh she's actually she's in the pursuit of her. Uh, yoga teacher training and um you know things we're working on together where she she helps a lot of people um through that work too so i mean i think the simplest way of helping one person helping a lot of people um all kind of tied into what we're working towards and um so yeah that's my thoughts Two awesome, man. yeah and i i i would say that you are you are well on your way to accomplishing that my friend you are you're doing some incredibly powerful and impactful work so uh keep keep up the the great work there my friend thanks man just trying to pay it forward every day and and make the parents proud <laughs> amen to that um awesome well we talked about so much cool stuff today um where where can our listeners find out more about you i think the best because there are so many things that i am working on is to connect with me on linkedin uh, mm -hmm. Kevin Sofin, K-V-I-N, S as in Sam, O, F as in Frank, E-N, um, or, you know, throwing out the different handles, uh, you know, from darley.com 
to responsible.com to sdgtalkspodcast.com. You know, all those, all those things are, are out there. And, and I, I, I respond very quickly on LinkedIn um, or, or you can hit me up directly in my Darley email, Kevin Sofin at Darley with the D.com and happy to talk shop, innovation, entrepreneurship, anything around social impact. I'd love to talk shop. And just if you're still listening and haven't fallen asleep yet, I appreciate you all. And Chris, just thank you to thank you to you as well for inspiring me to get in the podcast world and appreciate and love what you're working on. Ah, thanks, man. And, and remind everyone the name of your podcast. It's the SDG Talks podcast. So Sustainable Development Goals SDG Talks podcast. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Um, awesome. Well, this was great. And I, I could literally talk to you for hours upon hours. <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to continue it at, a, at another time and, and uh, keep it rolling, man. But yeah, man, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk today. Yeah. Awesome. All right, brother. Um, well, I'll stop the recording there. Um, yeah, man, let's, uh, let's, let's jump on a call, uh, sometime. Um, I, I checked out your podcast. Um, it's awesome, dude. Um, thank you. Appreciate yeah. that. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and, and I have lots of VR questions. Oh, yeah. Hey, I'd love to get back on the horn and talk. I mean, this next uh, next couple of days are busy for me, but you know, next next early early next week is good for me. So happy to um, talk more and and continue to align on all things technology, VR, and impact in any way possible. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. Well, I know you got your call at uh, at four fifteen. So. Yeah. No. Right now. So right on time, man. I appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for thanks again. <laughs> And um, I look forward to, to hearing this and talking more soon. Yeah. Awesome, man. My, my online jobs at PH people be editing this. Love it. Hey, that's what, that's what uh, outsourcing's for. Heck yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, have, a, have a good All night, man. brother. Thanks, dude. Good talking to you. Take care. Right. Appreciate yeah. it. See ya. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Or do you have a podcast and want it to grow all the way to the moon? then please go to famousfounder.com to sign up for our free webinar on how podcasting can build you a huge crowd of customers. Most podcast hosts we work with, myself included, discovered that podcasting is now their favorite way to meet people, further develop relationships with desirable connections, learn new skills, network, prospect, and receive thousands of dollars in consulting for free, all while creating tons of engaging pieces of social media content. And receive thousands of dollars in consulting for free, all while creating tons of engaging and sales-driving pieces of social media content. Because we turn every podcast episode into tons of bite-sized video content for use on social media. If you or anyone you know might be interested in starting or growing a podcast, please send them to FamousFounder.com. To see the complete show notes, specific links to everything mentioned, and videos of the 10 best moments from the episode, please go to anxiousfilmmaker.com. Now let's go make some great money and then some even greater movies.